0: Time for the United States to break its dependence on China and other countries for critical supplies. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, editor in chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. If nothing else, the coronavirus pandemic has taught us the danger of relying on other countries, especially China, for essential items such as medical equipment. turns out, for example, that 80% of the nation's prescription drugs come from China. So do many of the masks, gowns, and other equipment needed for surgeries and medical care. How did we come to this state of affairs? We get an explanation today from Greg Cozera, Director of Marketing with Shale Crescent USA. He believes the pandemic is a wake-up call about this country's lack of a critical domestic manufacturing base. And he draws a direct line between that issue and the dramatic turnaround over the last five years in the role of the United States as a provider of natural gas to the world. That sudden dominance in energy should set the stage for a resurgence of American manufacturing once the economy gets back on its feet. So here is my conversation with Greg Kozera. Greg Cozera welcome to the show.
1: Good to be with you, Bob.
0: Especially in light of the coronavirus pandemic, but I have a feeling you probably were saying this even before. I believe it's your contention that it's time to put distance between the economies of the U.S. and China.
1: Why? What's interesting, Bob, is we, Shell Crescent USA, the, the group that I do the marketing and sales for, and they're an economic development group. We've been talking about this for four years. And all of a sudden, coronavirus hits, and we realize as a country, basic things like gloves, ventilators, masks, aren't made here. And we're depending, just what like was it last weekend, there was a plane load of ventilators that New York was desperately in need of that they were so glad that China, just out of the goodness of their heart, and I'm sure they paid for them, flew a plane load of ventilators to New York City. Now. Those things should be made in this country. Some of them are, but nowhere near what they need to be. And that this, it's time that we understood. I learned, I didn't, and I do this, I had no idea that 80% of our drugs, the, the, the things that we put on our body for things like high blood pressure, diabetes, come from China. I wouldn't buy dog food from China, and I didn't, when, because the, some of the dog food that they were selling had glass in it. I made darn sure for my dog that everything came from the US. Why would I want to take a pill that comes from China that I have no idea mm-hmm. what the quality control looks like?
0: Why are we at this state of affairs? Why why is this stuff not made in the United States up to this point? You know, that's a
1: really great question. And it's happened over a period of probably 30 plus years. But some of your older listeners probably remember the Arab oil embargo back in the 70s when suddenly we realized that we weren't in control of our own energy destiny. OPEC held the cards and they could sit in a smoke field room and make a decision how much We all paid for gasoline. Well, that was the beginning of the fact that we were a very small producer in a big energy world. And most of that was Russia and the OPEC nations controlled that ball. And what's changed because of the shale revolution just in the last 10 years, the United States has suddenly taken over the position as the number one oil producer in the world and the number one natural gas producer in the world. And when that happens, all of a sudden... We control that price. That's why we remember back probably eight years ago, gasoline was like over $3 a gallon. During Katrina, I paid over $4 a gallon. When Harvey hit, what happened to my gasoline? It actually went down 15 cents because I don't get my gasoline from oil that comes from OPEC or Russia. I get it from the natural gas liquids in our region, and they actually produce the gasoline out of a Canton, Ohio, or Ashland, Kentucky. So that's, what's changed is back in Katrina days, we had to wait for a boatload of crude oil from the middle East to come up the Ohio river and dock in Ashland, Kentucky to make our gasoline. So, that,
0: But you're saying that our lack of energy independence up until recently was the direct cause of our not making stuff like medical
1: supplies in this country? Absolutely, because what happened is it, it was two things. One, when we lost the energy edge, when, in other words, when we had plants here that were 50s, where we were a major oil producer back in those days, as we lost, as our oil and gas wells depleted and we didn't have any big reserves to replace them, we lost that energy edge. And then, and so what happens, you had basically the United States and China both getting our energy from someplace else, in this case, OPEC. Mm-hmm. And China wins because they had cheap labor and we didn't. So when you look at it that way, Bob, all things being equal with energy, then the difference was labor. And China, obviously, their labor was a whole lot cheaper than ours. And what's changed, and a lot of American companies haven't realized is how subtle it happened when we became the major energy producer in the world, oil and gas, and and, and of course, obviously other sources too. And add to that, what we've got going for us today that we didn't have 20 years ago is advanced manufacturing, things like artificial intelligence, remote control, the whole ability to automate things. And when Mm -hmm. you do that, suddenly labor becomes a non-issue. And right today, we compete very, very nicely with the Chinese in labor. So if our labor costs and their labor costs are the same, we're using automation, they're using people, then the edge becomes energy.
0: Well, China's labor costs have gone up in the last few years just by virtue of a natural evolution of an economy. Absolutely, so you're, you're right. So they lose that edge a little bit vis-a-vis us as their labor becomes more expensive. But does that not cause manufacturers or OEMs not to automatically say, well, okay, China's getting too expensive, I'll just come back to the U.S.? Aren't they instead just looking for other cheap sources of labor, like Southeast Asia or India or Mexico? Is it an automatic alternative just to come back here?
1: Well, it's, it's not, and, and they've done that. They've done, gone to places like Malaysia or Singapore. But what really hasn't happened, it's fascinating, because our group did, uh, we worked with IHS Market, and we did two studies with them. They're in, IHS is a huge international company, very respected in a lot of injuries, particular petrochemicals. And in 2018, we did a study with them comparing a, a, a cracker, which makes basically the polyethylene pellets, here in mm-hmm. what we call crafts in Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, to one on the Gulf Coast. Well, the Gulf Coast has been the right answer to build a cracker for like 70 years. This study showed that that wasn't true anymore. And companies, matter of fact, I got a call from the VP of IHS Marketing. He said, Greg, we thought your area would have a slight advantage over the Gulf Coast. We had no idea it would be this big. Bottom line is that's why Shell was building a huge ethane cracker up north of Pittsburgh. They have a four times greater profitability by building it here. And the, and the reason is, it's really simple, it's all about logistics. Because what happens is this is the only place, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, this Shale Crescent region in the United States, is the only place on planet Earth where you can build on top of the feedstock and in the middle of the customer. Because 70% of the polyethylene, polypropylene, and even PVC demand is here. This is actually the biggest economy in the world because we have 50% of the U.S. population, 70% of the Canadian population within a day's drive of here.
0: But I can understand the difference between logistics costs between manufacturing in China and manufacturing in the United States. You're saying there's also a difference in logistics costs between the Ohio Valley and the Gulf Coast, which is a heck of a lot shorter distance And less logistics, but even that makes a difference, you're saying? It's
1: a huge difference. It's a a four times greater profitability. Because here's what's happening today. People are drilling wells here, Narcellus wells, Utica wells. This is the largest natural gas field on the planet that I'm sitting on top of right now. And what's going on today is that natural gas and the natural gas liquids are being put in pipelines and shipped to the Gulf Coast to fuel those crackers because we don't have any here yet. And guess where those pellets, once they turn those polyethylene, that ethane into polyethylene pellets, where do those pellets go? They come right back here. So what we have is the transportation to send that natural gas and natural gas liquids to the Gulf Coast. And then there's the transportation to send those products back to this region because this is where the demand is. There's no, if you look at the Gulf Coast, the people that make stuff out of those pellets aren't there. They're up here. Mm-hmm. In New Jersey and Pennsylvania and West Virginia, Ohio, Michigan. And that's it's the logistical advantage that this region has that creates that differential between the Gulf Coast. Now, imagine that and the Gulf Coast labor is very close to ours. Maybe in some cases we may be a little more expensive up here, but it's it's very close. Can you imagine now that differential if you're talking China? We met with a Chinese group in January and they wanted our Natural gas and liquids. That, that was the whole deal. They came here wanting that. And after we explained to them the difference, their next question was, well, if we make our pellets there, how do we get them to China? And we showed them, you know, it's pretty easy. You ship them by rail or barge to the coast and put it on a ship and voila.
0: But how long has this been the case? How long has it been the case that you could say what you just said about how we are now the leading producer of this type of energy? How many years has that had? We, we probably been
1: that just... Probably less than five.
0: Less than five years. And yet in those five years, have we seen a marked shift in general manufacturing back to the United States? Or as you say, we are all shocked to discover that these medical supplies and pharmaceuticals were still being made in China, even in the last five years, when one would think that you'd start to see a shift back because of the supremacy that you're describing to me. Hasn't happened yet. No, it hasn't. And,
1: and you know what's interesting? Because we were at World Petrochemical Conference, we show Shell Press in, in seventeen. And one of our founders came up to me, he said, Greg, he says, and these are high level executives from all over the world. And he came up to me and Jerry said, Greg, they have no idea where their gas is coming from because they knew that North America was a huge natural gas producer and natural gas liquids producer. What they didn't know is where in North America that's coming from. And here's something that's really important for your listeners because this now whole natural gas revolution, which changed the world, is in the last five years. 85% of the new natural gas production in the United States is coming from this region, Shell Crescent USA, not Texas and not places out in the Dakotas.
0: What's that doing to prices? What's um, it doing to the price of natural
1: gas? For 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 people that are buying gas, it's it's huge. It's great. So it's, the people who are producing it, it's devastating.
0: Is it? I mean, are, is it getting to the point where the price is so low, first of all, creating a possible glut on the market? It's already there. And secondly, is, the glu- okay, the glut so is you got a glut it, on the, the glut market, is it getting less profitable to mine the stuff in the first place? Is it hurting the producers to the point where the price point is so low that it doesn't even make sense to keep producing above a certain level? That is,
1: you're exactly right. That's exactly where we are. And really, all you have to do, if anybody doubts it, look at the stock of companies like EQT. And Terror resources, range resources are just three. Go and look at where they were to where they are now. And you don't want to own any of those companies. You, let's put it this way: you might want to own them now. You sure didn't a few years ago because you've watched your money basically go away. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what's happened. And the whole glut, I don't think the producers realized what they what had happened because. For years in this region, all those companies I named could produce as much natural gas as they wanted, go back eight, 10 years. They could produce as much natural gas as they wanted, and it didn't matter. They couldn't impact the price. What they didn't even realize is the more natural gas they produced, the more they drove the price down. I mean, it really was just a couple of years ago when they suddenly realized, that, oh, my God, we are the market. And that was kind of an aha moment.
0: We're seeing a parallel development in in oil, are we not? Same thing. Yes, exactly. And in fact, just this week, we heard of an attempt by the United States, Russia, the Saudis, and OPEC to agree to curtail oil production in order to get the price up. And Is, is there equivalent kind of efforts in the natural gas side? Or is that not possible given the fundamentals of that particular material?
1: The challenge there is we have antitrust laws. So what you can't have, first, there's a, there's a whole lot of natural gas producers. So you can't even get them into a room. But secondly, we're such a diverse economy when it comes to oil and natural gas that we can't legally do it. And logically, it just doesn't happen where you can't get a bunch of producers together and say, let's all cut back and we'll raise the price. It doesn't work. But OPEC can. There's no antitrust law against a bunch of OPEC countries getting together and Russia sitting down in the room. And they can do that legally or map I mean
0: they're a cartel by
1: definition exactly
0: yeah. we're not
1: we're a free market economy so what happens here in this country is when the price of oil goes down the price of natural gas goes down the. US producers look at that and say ooh I can't produce anymore I can't drill anymore and so it's it's a market for us low price they stop drilling and really part of that it's, it's fascinating because one of the things that Opec's really tried to do on the oil side is literally drive the u.S out of the market. Their thought, they tried it once and and they failed back about five years ago. But if Mm -hmm. they can drive the price down low enough, then U.S. producers quit drilling. And in some cases, if they, you've still got, just like any business, you've got costs. And if you can't drill and your wells continue to deplete like they always do, then there's a point where you've got to make some hard decisions. Do I drill and maybe pay some of my fixed costs with that? Or do I merge? Do I get out of business? So from Saudi and Russia's end, if they, can you imagine what happens? If they can drive the U.S. oil and gas producers out of the market, if they can produce Mm -hmm. cheaply enough, their dream is for us to go away.
0: They haven't been successful in that. And in fact, now we apparently are, reached some kind of tentative agreement with them on all of us curtailing production. What we
1: can't do though, is our president can't, make an agreement with them about U.S. production. That's totally out of his hands, and it's not Exxon and Shell that are the big producers. It's all these little, and by little, we're talking about some sizable companies, but nowhere near the size of an Exxon or Shell. So you've got all these basically medium-sized companies that government has no control over, so they can't really reduce our production. The only thing that reduces our production is the market itself.
0: Okay, so we could have had this same conversation two or three months ago, and it would have been exactly the same up to the point where I'm about to ask you this question. And that is, what about the wild card of the coronavirus pandemic followed by we are now, everyone agrees, at the beginning of a severe economic downturn? And so to talk at all about manufacturing development, to worry at all about the price of oil and natural gas almost seems irrelevant to the point that our economy is going in the tank. So how do these fundamentals change in the next year or two, given the fact that we are about to experience that?
1: You know, that's a great question. And I think what's happened, because to your point, the oil and gas industry is certainly, even now, it's weaker than it was three months ago because the prices have continued to drop. But I think the aha moment that the American public, and even in a lot of cases, our government, and I'm talking about not just federal, but state governments, all of a sudden they didn't realize how much stuff was coming from China. I didn't realize we were getting 80% of our prescription drugs from them. And mm-hmm. I don't think Governor Cuomo had a clue that things like masks, and and, and not just him, I mean, he's, he's not alone in the world, but all these basic health care things, Nobody had realized that they'd gone away, and it wasn't a big deal because they didn't need them. And well, we were getting a lot of them, from Puerto Rico. We were—that's true, but not much because they, again, China has is, is been able to outproduce Puerto Rico. We got some from there, and we're still making some of this stuff in the states, but nowhere near hmm. what we're importing. So when you imagine what happens when things like gloves. But there was a shortage of hospital gowns before Corona really got serious. And what happened is they found some quality control problems. And so a lot of hospitals had to actually stop surgery. That was the first time I realized that surgeons were getting a whole kit, their gown and a lot of other equipment were, were coming in like a packet from China. And I'm thinking, my God, I had no idea. I probably scared the dickens out of me when I had surgery last fall. But that's what's changed is all of a sudden we realized how dependent we are on that economy. And I think Mm -hmm. now there's a movement throughout the country that no more. I mean, we don't know how long this is going to last, but we also don't know there'll be another virus. There there seems like every five or six years something happens.
0: Do you think it's a larger philosophical revolution to the point it's not just about we can't depend on China so much anymore to the point where we can't Uh, depend on anyone outside of our borders anymore? Is that the real sentiment? About wanting to bring it back home, not just because of China, but because we need self sufficiency,
1: period. That is so spot on. Bob. That is exactly what I think is going on. And because what's happened is people are looking at their supply chain, there's other manufacturers in this region, because we still make a lot of stuff. We've seen manufacturing come back, to your point. We've got here in my state, Toyota, Hino, is, Hino has tripled the size of their workforce in Parkersburg, West Virginia. So that we've, we're seeing that kind of growth, but so many other people that make stuff here all of a sudden realized that they had to stop because when the virus hit in China and they shut down some of their factories, There were pieces of that that they didn't have control over. So what we've seen is this whole globalization thing is really all of a sudden when you have these kind of problems, it really hits home that, my gosh, we have no control. I can't make this product because i got two pieces coming in, one from China, maybe one from Italy or who knows where in Europe. I can't get them. It's one thing to make, let's just say shirts, for example. If shirts don't make it from wherever they're coming from we're going to be fine. I can make my clothing last a few months longer. No big deal. But when you're talking about some of the basic healthcare products, or pharmaceutical, or things like gloves and masks, and, and we can go through, there's a whole other bunch of other pieces in the economy, some of the national defense related, that I think what this is really causing is states and even the federal government to look at where we're getting stuff. And can we depend on those countries to always supply us. And so I think what we're going to see is manufacturing come back and particularly those things that we need to make here. We should be making here. We should be making our healthcare products here. We should be, if there's weapon systems, if there's things that we need for national defense, we darn well better be making those here because who can we depend on? So I think we're going to really take a look at what products should we be making here? No questions asked. This is where they got to come from.
0: So I guess we're going to find out eventually whether this is indeed the wake-up call that you say is necessary for us to become less dependent on other countries for critical supplies. But Greg Cozera of Shale Crescent, USA... I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to us about this. You are the author of a couple of books, Just the Frax, Ma'am, and Learned Leadership, which we'll link to in the show notes to our episode. But thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Good to be with you. And that Just the Frax is probably going to be important for your listeners because Fracking hydraulic fracturing is that's the basis for getting these this oil and natural gas out of the ground
0: topic for another day Absolutely, uh,
1: absolutely, but it's really our oil and gas industry is critical to bringing manufacturing back here. That's what's important. Thanks again, Greg Thank you. Appreciate you, Bob
0: That was my conversation with Greg Cosera of Shale Crescent, USA, talking about the need for a resurgence of U.S. manufacturing. We're online at www.SupplyChainBrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.